Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. How can your business integrate the principles of conscious capitalism and better involve stakeholders for mutual success? In today's episode, Jeff Bond chats with Kent Gregoire, a certified conscious capitalism consultant and the co-founder of Stakeholder Business. Kent is a renowned entrepreneur, consultant, speaker, and angel investor with over 35 years of experience in the business world. In this episode, Jeff and Kent dive deep into the topic of stakeholder capitalism and how it's transforming the business landscape. Kent discusses the importance of giving stakeholders a voice and involving them in the strategic decision-making process, why it's important for businesses to align stakeholders and adopt purpose-driven metrics, and shares his stories that have shaped him as a leader and helped him prioritize purpose over profit. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Kent Gregoire. All right, Kent Gregoire, thank you so much for spending this time today on Chat with Leaders uh, podcast. I have been looking forward to this for a very long time as just really one of those key voices out there in the stakeholder capitalism world. And we're going to unpack that word today. So I wanted to see if maybe you could set the stage with how you define stakeholder capitalism. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Stakeholder capitalism, it's really the role of business in building a socially and an environmentally sustainable world. When companies can create value for all their stakeholders, they build stronger, certainly more resilient and often more profitable value chains that can help us rise to meet today's um, needs and expectations of consumers, employees, and all our stakeholders. So I love the word profitable because I think often we talk about stakeholder capitalism and being good stewards of the environment and our stakeholders. And a lot of, you know, red-blooded capitalists out there may say like, oh, that's just a bunch of malarkey, you know, or there's, there's no profit in that. It's not a better way to do business. So I like that you lean into that because those that are out there that want to be do-gooders and, and change the world, you know, can sometimes get that uh, reputation for not caring about profit. But with increased profits, we can have more impact in the world. And I think we're going to lean into that a little bit more today. Um, and, and particularly as it relates to the word purpose, and you mentioned in our uh, conversations before that you believe purpose is the most important decision that a CEO makes. Can you explain why this is the case and how a CEO can align the company's purpose with the stakeholder values? Sure. A purpose, um, let me define what I mean by purpose first, is to solve a worthy environmental or social problem. It could be community. Um, for example, um, one company I'm aware of um, worked on gang violence to, you know, essentially eliminate gang violence in that community. So that would be a social community. But that purpose is very much about a worthy problem, and it's about solving it. So in purpose, a company why I believe that it's the most strategic decision that will ever be made, it's the North Star. 
Um, it's very clear. Um, it has deep meaning to it. It tends to energize its stakeholders. Um, they want to do the work. They want to work toward helping to see that the world becomes a better place. And one of the things that distinguishes purpose is it must be measurable. Most purpose statements in companies are not measurable. They sit out there. They can be a guiding point, but they're typically not measurable. Um, and they're typically not trying to solve a worthy problem. So I think kind of setting that out there first is really important. Trying to get people to be involved in working with that purpose in the alignment of it is the stakeholder engagement. You know, who are these stakeholders? People oftentimes ask. Um, most companies will have six of them. They'll have employees. They'll have customers partners and suppliers. They'll certainly have um, environment. So it'd be like a representative of the environment. It could be a representative of community as well as the shareholders themselves. So giving stakeholders a voice, um, that doesn't mean actually all of the stakeholders. It means having representatives from the group, um, giving them a voice, giving them a seat at the table to help us in strategy. First, our job is to understand what are their needs. You know, so often we have always said to companies, oh, help us do everything we need done. Um, give, 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 give. And now really the notion with stakeholder capitalism is a very symbiotic relationship. We want to understand what their needs are, have them understand our needs and begin to work together to develop real sound strategies. So by getting our stakeholders at the table, um, aligning them to our purpose, and we begin to really dive in and align with their purpose, um, it becomes a very strategic decision. Um, a lot of times people will ask me just as kind of putting a purpose out there, what's mine, is to expand the game of business to build a world that works for everyone. And we certainly have a mission to support that. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love the point too, that it's really the most strategic decision that's ever made. You know, it's not just something that you come up with. It really is something that, a lot of purpose-driven entrepreneurs and business leaders, you know, labor over in the beginning of forming their business because it is going to direct everything uh, that they do to benefit their stakeholders and to drive shareholder return, which you named in that list of stakeholder groups. It's not dismissive of the fact that you need to be able to show economic viability of a business and that it's going to be enduring, um, but that you're just more conscious of uh, that total ecosystem that you just described. And, um, and you're a great champion for that. You've been doing it over the last, what, 35 years now. I think I, I remember. Is that accurate? Yeah. I've, um, well, I've been an entrepreneur and working with entrepreneurs for over 35 years. I think, you know, we can go into a little bit more of my journey and how that shifted over time. You know, like many of us were, you know, there, there's always a shift. And, um, I think one of the big differences today is that younger um, employees, younger entrepreneurs are oftentimes already seeking this really deep purpose. They're clear about it. They come from a different place than those of us who are, for me, I'm speaking directly, a bit older. You know, purpose, we tended to, um, you know, one day realize that maybe we weren't living a life of purpose. And what does that begin to feel like? What does it look like? How do we navigate through it? it it's like a forest and we can't even see the next mountain. And it's, um, it's very scary. Yeah. So and I hear that a lot, particularly about Gen Z and Gen Z is just one of those generations that truly inspires me and gives me a lot of, a lot of hope for our future because I see the number of social entrepreneurs coming out, which is grand plans to change the world. And they're innovative. They were born with technology in their hands and, they know how to use it and they know how to, to make a lasting impact with it. And they're just 
enough is enough, you know, for them after they've grown up the last 20 something years with uh, the turmoil of the world that we've seen uh, accelerated. So what are some of the factors, I guess, that you've seen with why this generation uh, seeks this deeper meaning uh, to align with their values? And how can a company really capitalize on that? Uh, what are the benefits of doing so? Yeah, well, I think we really have an extraordinary generation that has arrived um, and continuing to come into the workforce. Um, they're, they're already predisposed to wanting to make a change in environment to community um, because of the nature in which they've grown up. We're, we're you know, dealing with all kinds of issues and they're really big and they're really scary. Um, and they want to be able to do something about it. What's interesting, I think, and this is really a very personal observation, who knows, it could be um, supported by studies or not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I think there's really a, an extraordinary time and being able to bring the younger generation in and matching them up with people who've been in the workforce for quite a while, who understand, you know, a lot of the deep business principles. Um, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be re-examining them because it's really a perfect reverse mentoring. It's a, it's a symbiotic mentoring. If we can be mentoring both ways, we're now really being able to make the shift much faster. And the shift is to creating a better world for all of us. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I, like you, am very, very inspired and very in awe. I'm around some entrepreneurs um, due to some work that I do that every year compete for um, awards. And part of the awards that they get are more funding. And every time I see the slate that comes up throughout the cities and then eventually go to the global organization, it's extraordinary what young people are working on and solving. It's really extraordinary. It really is. I love what you said about it being symbiotic and this reverse mentoring relationship that there is. And we have to take that posture. I mean, there's five generations in the workforce right now. And, you know, as we start to, to become part of that older population in the workforce, there's these really brilliant young people coming into the workforce. And we have to take the posture of being willing to learn from their uh, their innovation and, and what they know about the world uh, that maybe we don't and challenge our own assumptions. But the, the shift really has been kind of a growing global movement towards promoting social, economic, and environmental sustainability, equality, justice, and systematic change. And you know, of course, it's all bending towards the advice that our grandmothers all gave us, which was to leave this in a better place than where you found it, right? So right. if we're all listening to our grandmothers, that's one thing that we all have in common, but uh, it really does uh, bring a lot of hope. And so as you've kind of gone through your career, Ken, I'm curious, is there kind of like any stories from your upbringing or your career that's just fundamentally affected or even changed the way that you lead people today with this sense of stakeholder capitalism at the core? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I'm going to share a story. I'm going to begin the story, though, kind of setting the stage for where we've been. And I wanted to go back just one moment. We were talking about the younger generation. And when I was of that age, um, and still for you know a number of years, it was a very individualistic, like it's really all about me, right? And we haven't really changed that much as a society. One of the things that has changed significantly is the younger generation um, that's really going into community. They understand understand community at such a deeper level already and that 
they're sometimes um, ignored or said, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. And the reality is, what a mistake. I'm telling you, every generation before us, they don't have all of these blinders on. And so the way that they can ask questions, they're more likely to ask questions and make statements, are really a gift to those of us who've been around for a while. Unfortunately, um, and, and I'm very I'm willing to profess this as a result of having a major milestone birthday this year, I have done everything I possibly can to remain very young in my mind as it comes to thinking about world, and it served me well. So maybe having said that, kind of go and, you know, answer your question, you know, what's my what's my journey been like? What brought me here? You know, I've certainly been a dreamer where, you know, we're all, all our listeners, I'm sure your listeners are, you know, kind of problem solvers and doers. Um, it collectively um, probably, you know, serve hundreds of thousands of employees um, and impact a global economy. And, you know, that it feels really, really good. It's making some impact. But at the same time, there's this little voice that was in my head, and maybe it's in head of your listeners, and it says, you know, it's just not enough. Um, and mine was way back when, many years ago, is I'm not enough. Um, it is what kept me up at night. It was less about the business problems. Um, certainly, it was business problems early on. But um, as I began aging, and I mean, literally just in my 30s, um, what kept me up at night was really more about, am I doing enough? Am I doing the things that need to be done? And I was still using a lot of the old paradigms around success. So at the end of the day, you know, I was fleeting for all of these goals, you know, like one goal right after another, another project, another project. Let's just get these goals done. And so there was a lot of happiness, right? And the happiness is pretty short-lived. I I began feeling unsatisfied. Um, I didn't feel particularly fulfilled, um, a bit of emptiness. So in this kind of endless loop of things, um, I managed to... um, I managed to get myself out of it, Um, but we're going to step back a little bit again because I want to go in deeper. I wanted to set that because I was one of these um, individuals who started a company at age 14, but it was a company. I couldn't own it because I was a minor. My parents did, but it was my company. We manufactured. We manufactured a product, a cleaner, and it, you know, it's, that's not exactly easy. And we had different, we, I had different distribution channels. I'm the one who my parents might drive me around, but I'm the one who had to have the scary meetings and open the door and talk to somebody to buy, you know, 24 jars per case. And so in that, I, at a very young age, not only did I learn how to be an entrepreneur, um, but I also really learned, you know, that, um, that the world is a little scary, but that also gave me the opportunity to really practice. And um, in in the practice, um, I was practicing success. And I was practicing success in like an old paradigm. But things really, really started to heat up. In 92, my father's in town. He decides to stop by my office. He wasn't involved in that company, which was a software development company. But he came into my office. We went for a walk and like out of the blue, he just, this is outburst. And he says, hey, Ken, you know, you just, you just don't have your business and your personal priorities um, in order. You know, you, you need to focus. You need to understand what's really important. You were raised with some pretty strong values and you're not showing up as caring and kind anymore. And boy, if that wasn't enough, he said, you know, you've been extraordinarily successful in your 20s where most people will never get to. 
but the way in which you're using your money has no meaning behind it all. Well, I have a little bit of a smile on my face now. Um, I have a very, you know, my dad's not with me anymore, but um, those words were such a pivotal moment for me. But at the moment, oh my God, I think my heart just like seized up. Um, it's like I had to recrank it to get it going. I was speechless. I disappointed my dad, certainly one of the most important people in my life. And, um, it ended up probably being without a doubt still today, one of the worst days of my life. Um, so that became a pivotal moment in my career. And I began really thinking there's got to be a better way to do business. I um, I wasn't following so much the way that my dad had run his companies. And so I wondered if there was a deeper sense of something that I was missing and, um, and really beyond the wealth. I had seen money and I felt there had to be something more. Business seemed somewhat easy and at the same time challenging, um, but it wasn't what I wanted to uh, focus on anymore because it's not what needed my attention. I wanted to see um, other people win and I wanted to see more joy in my life, not just happiness. I wanted to see more joy and I wanted to see my employees thrive more. So I really kind of turned um, and went into um, a deep, deep exploration. So when I came across my tribe, a lot of people that were in the same place I was and certainly beyond, and it was a huge uh, breath of fresh air. So on my quest um, in all of this, not only have I been an entrepreneur, but I've helped hundreds of business leaders unleash their entrepreneurial spirit for good. I love that. I certainly felt that way as I started to get more ingrained with you know, B Corp leaders, conscious capitalists, people that were thinking this way about higher purpose and how business and influence could be a force for good. And it kind of even shifted my thoughts around using the phrase servant leadership uh, really should be the only type of leadership, frankly. Uh, so it really shouldn't even uh, warrant a new name for it. But the fact that there's this idea that, you know, for profit businesses uh, can really be leveraged as a way to serve stakeholders and love them well is uh, is so great. And to me, it's kind of that Maslow's hierarchy of the psychological safety, love, esteem, and self-actualization, but that that new kind of introduction of self-transcendence of, of thinking about the others and help, help bring the, the peak performance and transcending our own personal concerns and bringing out a higher perspective of joy, peace, and sense of awareness for others. And, um, and I just, yeah, I really love that. And I think it's, it was just a really well told story. So can you give an example of a situation when you had to make a decision that prioritized people over profit? What was hard about it? What was the outcome? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind, I took a majority interest. Actually, I, I essence owned the entire company. It was just how it was structured. And it was a man, another manufacturing company. I've been in many different industries, but it happened to be manufacturing. And in that particular company, um, I found out that one of our installations, so we manufactured goods and we installed them. They were large projects. And I found out there was a problem, happened to be in our backyard, not like in Alaska or, you know, over overseas or something. And so I was able to quickly go. And being that I was only, you know, like a month and a half into the company, there was still a lot of learning for me. So the curiosity was really, really, you know, significant. And so as my team went through and they showed me the installation and why the customer wasn't happy 
you know, and, and um, what, what I quickly discovered was um, that in this particular case, the culture, I want to add this one piece of this company, um, they were used to a leader that's very unlike me, it would be exactly the antithesis of, you know, Kent Gregoire is today. Everything was about how much money can I make? And I'm okay with screwing whoever I need to along the way. In fact, that was the language used. So all of these employees, when I say all of them, I mean, all of them had worked there for generally 16 to 20 some odd years. And so that's the way they knew how to do business. So as they looked at this problem, it was really, really like just so foreign to me how they were thinking about solving it. They were constantly looking at, we can't do anything. It's going to cost us any money and let's do this. Let's do that. And it was like putting band-aids on problems. And the issue with this particular one, it had a safety concern. Safety was number one around our product. So in um, in a situation, we come back to the office and I um, said to the team, I said, tell me what you think we should do. So they told me, which is what everybody that's listening would expect, you know, based on the parameters I set. And I said, okay, I know this is going to be really, really difficult because you probably have never heard this before, but I don't want money to be part of the equation. I'll give you as much money as you need to fix this. And don't worry, it's not going to harm you. It's not going to harm anybody. You're just simply going to get as much money as you need to fix this problem. How would you do it? And they came up with a solution. I said, great, let's go do it. Well, you know, the stakes were that, um, first of all, if we didn't do right by the customer, that was going to be a big problem. There could also be a safety issue, in this case, for a child. Um, that would be horrible and would be horrible for anybody. We also had the hit because of the way my agreement was written at the acquisition, that profits early on had an impact to the um, other shareholder. And so we had to look at um, various different stakeholders there and then looking at the employees overall. And so from the employee standpoint, it may sound like for me, it wasn't all that challenging. What was really challenging about it was navigating through and helping the employees, because I've given a very brief version. This really took place over days, helping the employees see that there really was a different way of doing business, that we could, in fact, you know, ethics were at the center. We needed to bring those back to the way in which this company was going to operate, not really back, but enter ethics into it. And that um, I had to explain trade-off thinking. And the, you know, the original trade-off thinking was, do whatever minimal you can do, just get by for the customer and get it done and do whatever you have to do at all costs, even for you, even if you don't get paid, it's irrelevant. We can't lose any money on the project. So um, it was interesting. The other thing I'll share about this one, it happened other times in the same company. It was really beautiful. We know sometimes mistakes when they're made are really our best opportunity, not just for general learning um, and growth, but it's also an opportunity for innovation. What was discovered in this particular problem actually innovated the way in which the product was uh, manufactured, assembled, but they were a few months later able to go back and realize that they had missed something. And so there was an innovation in the actual product itself. So, you know, I think those are some really good things. I can think of some that maybe were harder for me, but I like this one because of the way that it really touches upon leadership. It touches upon culture. You know, it touches upon purpose. I didn't speak of purpose, but I can tell you it touched on my purpose. They didn't yet know the purpose. It didn't exist. Right. And so they were just aimlessly operating based on the paradigm of I'm here. I'm a resource. Use me as much as you need to. I guess I'm hoping that I'm going to get paid. OK, I don't get paid that well. You get the idea. So 
Um, it was just a really interesting um, case. And it was another opportunity for me to see the beauty of engaging um, with the ones, really the one stakeholder group. When they went to tell the customer what the solution was, I uh, the customer I really thought was just blown away. I mean, it was so surreal because I think he may have known something about the company, probably not easy to negotiate with, and to find out that he got everything that he wanted and actually got a little bit more, not just in the innovation. I felt that um, we, we, for good faith effort, um, because it was going to delay this project being done, we should do some more for him. So we did take a profit hit. I will say that. It, it was a negative, like even though you have great margins in manufacturing, we took a profit hit. Yes. And, and I was very comfortable with that. Yeah, it's a short view and there's a long view, right? Are you creating an enduring company? Are you innovating? Are you introducing ethics and and something that's going to be sustainable and that's going to help you build deeper relationships both with your people and your customers? And and frankly, I mean, in today's world, the workforce is so mobile, right? I mean, you see the great resignation, you see quiet quitting. I mean, some of these things existed before the pandemic, but I think people are starting to realize that they have other options and frankly, they can learn other skills they can take to other places with leaders that are leading this way, this new way of different of doing different ways of business versus screwing people at all costs, like you said before, like this leader. And and I think, you know, when people are starting to find these these companies exist and they find their tribe, to your point, then, you know, why would they work for a company? Uh for a jerk like that, you yeah. know, that, uh, well, you know, that life is too short to, to, to work in that kind of environment. So, so thank, thank goodness there is innovation that allows for new companies and entrepreneurs to thrive and build better cultures, uh, for our workforce to enjoy so that they can have a, a better life, you know, yeah. and be happier every day. Absolutely. I'm, I'm working with a client in New York city. It's a, a charter school. And, you know, charter schools are very different than in the district and how they operate, not just from an academic point of view, but certainly organizationally. And one of the things that's really, really impressed me, they do an incredible job with the hygiene side, you know, the basic things that must be in place. But it's really difficult, of course, to have the depth and breadth of the kinds of resources um, for benefits, right? You know, because it's just a huge, huge system. And so they can have a lot more on the benefits side. What's really extraordinary about this school is that they have very, very high retention, huge engagement. But you know what they're seeing because they're following a stakeholder model. Um, they see amazing creativity happening. And when um, staff members, they call everybody staff. It's not like an educator or admin. When a staff member comes in and let's say this case, they're leading a classroom or classes and they say, I need a laptop for the top of everybody's desk. It's not like, oh my God, you got to go put out a budget request and all this. They actually really, really lean in and allow their educators to say, this is something I need. And they know they're going to get the ROI that's needed. They're very purpose driven. And so the answer is almost always yes. And it's a really fascinating place because not only, you know, they're getting yeses, but the workforce there very values the kind of workplace that it is because creativity is not allowed in the public system. 
they they have to go through all kinds of hurdles and it could take years to even get approved for laptops on kids desk and for them to take home and this is a this is an area in new york city that's you know a challenge um in in the neighborhood the demographics it's it's really a challenge and so it's a really beautiful story so many things i can tell you about it. we're not here to do that today but um i wanted to add that because i thought it really connected to having that deep purpose um being able to see cultures that or in comparison um, to those that are more traditional, that really stymie the kind of learning and growth and creativity and potential innovation. I mean, where people are just having a great time working and, and delivering high engagement, and they don't have to do all these tricks for engagement. It, it just happens. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I, I think I've had a mind shift over time as I've spent more time with people like you and purpose-driven leaders that this you know type of leadership isn't about driving discretionary effort to where people will work more longer harder hours or the you know the the line will will produce more product or whatever but it actually does spark creativity and innovation which creates healthier more joyful uh, stakeholder groups and companies that are enduring and so you know I've really shifted more towards that that belief in creativity and innovation and joy versus just driving discretionary effort and trying to get more extraction uh, out of everything. So, well, let's land the plane. This has been great. I could talk to you for, for days. We should do other series uh, on this purpose-driven leadership. But you mentioned that the this time of your life, you have this opportunity to work only with clients who are really embracing and leading with purpose. So can you talk to us a little bit more about this choice the trade-off, how it's affected your career, and how maybe other people could choose to work with those that are leading from this state of higher purpose. Yeah. So, you know, I certainly my career changed when my work became connected to purpose. And so when it's connected to purpose and very congruent, um, it's a place in which it um, and this work isn't always easy, right? You know, you, you know that. But it's a place that we can operate from with an intense clarity and a kind of energy that's not fleeting when we're not focusing on money. Um, you know, as I said, my and I, there's a reason I repeat this to kind of give some context. My purpose being the expand to expand the game of business to build a world that works for everyone. Many people might look at that and say, "Well, what's really going on here?" Well, when we think about the work that we're doing in stake for stakeholder capital capitalism, what we're talking about is shifting companies um, in the way that they operate. So when individuals, when business leaders, when CEOs are operating from a place of purpose, the first thing that oftentimes we have to do is help them test that purpose. Um, are they, and are they really able to lead from it? Is it connecting with all of their stakeholders? Because if you're not stress, stress testing it with your stakeholders and asking your stakeholders, not just through questions, but actually to evaluate your company and even evaluate it around metrics based, um, it may sound good, um, but it may not actually work. And I, I feel very strongly that those who are purpose driven see it as an opportunity. They see it as a responsibility to be able to be sure that they're making this really big difference. I think a bigger challenge now is how to engage um, stakeholders in terms of fostering the team alignment and adopting those measures. Um, we know that going from purpose, that bridge that's really necessary, can be um, somewhat very unknown. Um, there's not a lot of methodologies out there. In fact, I'm not really sure there are any, except we have them. Um, that's something we're very proud of. Um, but to be able to go from purpose and to create that bridge to turn purpose into prosperity. 
And so, well, we've been talking a lot about purpose today because it's the cornerstone and it's essential in order to do stakeholder engagement and to be a company that practices stakeholder engagement. You know, it the magic starts showing up in honoring the purpose. The real work is to actually engage the stakeholders, get your team aligned, measure it, and have your stakeholders continuously be there, um, giving you some really good feedback um, and letting you know if you're on target. Um, it's, it can be a long journey, but boy, it is one that is well worth it. Super rewarding journey, I agree, and, and I love this turning purpose into prosperity. I'm sure that's a message that aligns with all of our listeners today, that we want to do well while doing good and feel that sense of self-fulfillment, but also through the self-transcendence of serving others uh, so well like you can. We'll certainly be including links to your uh, LinkedIn, how to connect and follow you, as well as some other resources that allow people to get more familiarized with your work. But Ken, I just wanted to thank you for your gift of time and sharing your wisdom with us today. It's really a great pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.